Hi, how's it going? Welcome to the second episode of There's My Beer, hosted by me, Johnny. Um, as you know, I started this podcast last week. I edited it after I recorded it and noticed it was a little on the um, echoey side. So I changed my mic setup a little bit this time around, hoping that doesn't happen again. So we'll see what happens. This episode I'm going to, uh, I will be talking about what a pale ale is. And then I will re- be doing a review of a pale ale that I enjoy. Even though I'm not a real big pale ale and IPA fan, there are ones I do enjoy. So I'll be doing a review of that. And I'm also going to give you some uh, events local to the Chicagoland area, because that's where I'm based, uh, that are going on in the next couple of weeks. I know it's uh, crappy that it's only the Chicagoland area, but for now, it's the best I can do. Because that's where I am, and that's what I find. Let's get started with what is a pale ale well pale ales have been around a long time in america though we only know them as being around for 40 well let me start start back in 1979 so in 1979 in the late 70s jimmy carter lifted the um there was a law that you couldn't brew at home so in the late 70s jimmy carter uh some people say due to his brother, who was a beer fan, although he drank really bad beer, uh, Billy Carter, there, he had his own beer, Billy Beer, and my understanding is it was just horrible. But, anyways, according to what I've read and heard and, you know, gone over a few times, Jimmy Carter was, inst- Billy and Jimmy Carter were instrumental in lifting the ban on home brewing. With the ban on home brewing lifted, it actually, um, Open the door for craft beer. Open the door for microbrews. All the stuff we have now that we we love, right? Before, so pre-prohibition, American beer was way different. It wasn't all lagers like MGD and Budweiser and Miller Lite, and it wasn't all Pilsners either. We had ales, we had stouts, we had all kinds of stuff. It was a lot darker, richer, uh, more flavorful, flavorful beers. Not to say those aren't flavorful, just they're not my cup of tea. And I. I know some people that listen to this will like those, and that's fine. Some won't, that's fine. You guys can argue it out on the Facebook page, get out of hand, and I will throw the band hammer down quicker than Thor does. Anyways, so back in 1979, the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company was founded in Chico, California. Uh, in 1980, it produced its first beer, its first batch of pale ale. This was, uh, this was revolutionary at the time. This was the first pale ale in America in a long time. This is the first non macro sorry, macro brew beer in a long time. I know companies like Sam Adams and Goose Island and um, some of them get a bad rap and I think some, some people seem to really give the Sierra Nevada a bad rap too because now they're not you know microbrewing or craft beers anymore. But let's be honest, those three really pioneered the really were pioneers in the in the movement, you know. And Sierra Nevada was one of the first ones. So it was a distinctly American pale ale in the fact that they used American hops. Uh, the American hops they used were crisp, and they um, they were a little on the fruity-flavored side. There was a little bit of fruit to them. They were bitter. They were very aromatic. Um, and it was the first real alternative to light beers, right, or, or lagers. So due to the success of it, to this day, really, a lot of pale ales are actually judged against what Sierra Nevada's pale ale tastes like. And it's just called Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. It's in a green, it's in a bottle with a green label. Uh, it's a very good pale ale, even to me. Like I said, I'm not a huge um, 
pale ale or IPA fan, but there are ones I do like. And this, I, t- I tasted this a long time ago, in the 90s. And I, I mean, the first beer I bought legal, legally was a Sam Adams. Sierra Nevada was shortly thereafter, and it was very, very good. So while the pale ale was relatively new to us here in America, uh, roughly, what's that, about 40 years ago, 1980? Yeah, 38 years ago or so, something like that. The style is actually at least 300 years old and comes from England. So pre-pale ale time in England, everything was porters and stouts. I'll do a episode explaining the difference between a porter and a stout because um, it, it's not. There's a lot. Of, it, there's a lot involved because there's a lot of people that say they're different. And a lot of people say they're the same. But either way, most beers in England were dark beers. Um, they used a dark barley malt that was heated, and it gave this. Um, everything had a toasted the toasted malt flavor you're used to in porters and stouts. So. The prob- other problem was that there was no consistent way to, like, brew it. Right? To, like, heating and cooling wasn't... There was no cooling. Heating wasn't consistent. So, anyways, uh, by the 18th century, they started... Um, they found a way to reliably make pale barley malt. And somebody had the bright idea to use this to make a pale-colored beer problem at the time was that the pale malt was expensive. Uh, only the rich drank pale ales, or pale beers, as they called them. Uh, eventually, it would become more cost-efficient, I guess. I guess it would, they, the ingredients eventually, you know, as with most things, it became cheaper, right? So now more people were able to drink them, and slowly they started turning the tables on the darker ales, which I'm a big fan of, and um, eventually became more popular than porters and stouts. Now, after they started getting their foothold, there was a brewing company called Burton-upon-Trent in the English Midlands. And what they did is they, they created their... up Burton-upon-Trent is a small town in England. It's not like a London. But they decided to make their own pale ale and said, hey, we can beat the people in London. We can make our own. We could, we could outdo them. So they started doing it. And what cr- they uh, had a lot of good luck with it. And... It turns out that part of the reason they had so much success with their pale ales was the water was considered was uh it's a hard water there, and the hard water for some reason I'm not really a chemist or anything like that and I probably could have researched that this part better, but the hard water is perfect for producing producing pale ales. Uh, I from what I did what I did read is that the the hard water mixed with the the hops and everything it it's um. Gives you this, uh, makes it feel like dry, like when you drink a dry wine. It makes gives us this dryness to it, and it helps um, mellow out the hop bitterness a little bit. So, amongst those two things, it also helped clear with the clarity of the color. How much of that's really true, I don't know. I, I would assume, I don't know if the color thing is true for sure. I mean, I read that, but we're talking 300 years ago, right? So, these uh, brewers and these brewers in Burton upon Trent really like stepped it up on that, right? So, also, at the same time, pale ales weren't only always called pale ales. Pale ales were also called bitters. And people used each term interchangeably. And the problem with that is that, um, well, I mean, there were pale ales. They were considered bitters or pale ales. And some some even said bitter ales. If you look it up, you'll see this referred to that way. 
and they um they were calling it that because they wanted to they they definitely wanted to distinguish it from regular brown ales that were a little on the sweeter side because these pale you know pale ales are more bitter right and then IPAs are more bitter double IPAs are more bitter that's the way it goes the IBUs go up so back in the day pale ales and bitters were considered pretty similar nowadays there's a distinct um, there's more of a distinct distinction between the two uh, it depends on who the person is and where it's in who the what company it is and what brewery rather than a company um, some say if it's served on draft it's considered a bitter if it's in a bottle it's a pale ale it you know I don't know anymore but here in America, they do not use the name bitter for pale ales. They call them pale ales. Some are called APAs for American pale ales. It's just the way it is here. So, in in America, so when American um, brewers go to make a pale ale, they uh, do it differently than the English pale ale. So, like an English pale ale, the malt was more of a. It was more like a. Even though it wasn't a darker, like a stout or porter, it had more of an it had a nuttiest and a nuttiness to it, and it was much um, it had much more. I don't want to say deeper in flavor, um, more body, more robust maybe. Where American malt is, um, it's more subtle, and it's a little, it's more subtle and has a little bit more bite. It, it has an American pale ale almost has a, it's it has a Christmas crispness. Yeah, similar to a lager. Um, you know, the hops used in English in English pale ales they're more they're more floral, they're more um, more uh, earthy, more I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean really there's a limited amount of terms you could use, right? Where American hops tend to be uh, uh, American ones are more um, more distinct because they're much uh, there's much more of a citrus taste to them versus a uh, floral taste, and there are ones that have a little bit more of a pine to them. There's so many hops out there, it's really hard to say. Um, English pale ales are also more subtle. They're not, they don't seem to be quite as hoppy as American pale ales. American pale ales, I mean, they really go for the hop, and they do it well. So um, that's really the main difference between them. Uh, most regular pale ales aren't super high in alcohol. There's some out there now that are brewed that are. It's uh, a very, it's still a very popular style beer here and abroad. So that's the history of the American pale ale, or the pale ale anyway. Uh, it kicked off a revolution here in America. Before I get to the beer review, I want to give out some uh, some events that are coming up um, here in the Chicagoland area. And I guess if you're really, you know, in Southern Wisconsin, Northwest Indiana, and none of these are really that far out of the way. Uh, first up, we have the Arlington Heights Chamber of Commerce is um, having the Arlington on Tap, their annual beer and wine fest, Saturday, October 13th, 2018. It's from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. There's a VIP entrance at 4 p.m. It is outdoors on the grounds of One Arlington, 3400 West Stonegate Boulevard, Arlington Heights, Illinois. They are featuring more than 60 craft beers and wine, cigar pairings, live music, Food and they advertise ample parking because gotta have ample parking. Also, it is mid-September, which means Oktoberfest is coming up. For those of you who don't know, Oktoberfest in Germany actually runs, I want to say, the last week in September through the first week in October. Where here in America we go, oh, Oktoberfest must be October. 
Uh, Oktoberfest Chicago is coming. And I believe it starts on Friday, September 28th. It's 1,700 hours. For those of you that don't speak that language, it's 5 o'clock p.m. It's at Southport and Lincoln Avenue. You can get t- tickets at chicagoevents.com. And let's see what else we have. So that, that runs Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So Friday is 5 to 10. Saturday the 29th is 11 to 10. Sunday... September 30th is 11 to 7. Uh, Cactus Bar and Grill in Chicago is having their 6th annual Oktoberfest. And theirs is September 27th from 1100 or 11 o'clock to 2300, so 11 to 11, so 12 hours. Cactus Bar and Grill can be found at 404 South Wells, corner of Wells and Van Buren in Chicago. Uh, it's actually not only just an Oktoberfest, what they do is kind of cool. Uh, they, do use a, they do it as a fundraiser, and they do it to uh, help save canines, dogs. So you buy a souvenir stein... And the money goes towards uh, saving canines. And you get some good beer to go along with it. So, yeah, not a horrible way to not a horrible way to look at it. No tickets are um, needed for the vet and or for the vet. <laughs> for the event. And it is uh, Cactus Bar and Grill and in conjunction with the Chicago Canine Rescue. And I'm sure there's more coming up. I haven't been able to find it, but I believe Bell's Brewery has an Oktoberfest uh, event coming up, too. But more importantly, if you ever had, wanted to have dinner with Larry Bell, the founder of Bell's Brewery, well, he's hosting a four-course beer and dinner pairing at Bell's Eccentric Cafe. Seating's pretty limited, so you might want to sign up. Visit them over at their Facebook page or at, I don't know the website offhand, sorry, uh, for an evening with Larry Bell. Uh, it is Tuesday, September 25th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it's four-course dinner and beer pairing, and you get to meet the... Uh, the founder of Bell's Brewery. Bell's is, happens to be one of my favorite breweries, to be honest. I really like them a lot. I think they do a, I think they do a great job. And they're not too far away from where I am. I haven't been there yet, but I'm working on it. If you're in the Indiana area, another event you could take, look forward to is the Munster Ale Fest in 2018. It's October 13th. It's hosted by Off Square Brewing, along with Cognito Brewing, Tap House, St. John Malt Brothers, who I've had before. They're very good. Zorn Brew Works, Munster Parks and Recreation, Greenbush Brewing, Brewfest Partners, Triton Brewing Company, New Oberfalz Brewing, Haymarket Pub and Brewery. Uh, it's a good lineup there. And let's see, we're talking uh, 1 o'clock to 5.30 at Centennial Park in Munster, Indiana. Tickets can be found on Eventbrite. And general admission is $47. If you're a designated driver, it's only $15. Um, I've never been there. I've heard that Alefest is a good time. Um, like I said I've had St. John Malt Brothers Craft Brewery's beer before. I like it. They got a um, they got a really nice little brewery, and they're more than happy to show you around and everything. And let's see, if you're in St. John, Indiana, St. John is having their Oktoberfest, September twenty first, from five thirty till eight p.m. So that's something else to check out. Ninety four hundred Wicker Avenue, St. John, Indiana. I do this weekly, or I'm trying to do this weekly, so I'll definitely have more for you. Actually, let me correct that. The St. John uh, Annual Oktoberfest is actually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, September 21st, 22nd, 23rd. It's until noon till 10.30 p.m. on Saturday, noon till 8 p.m. on Sunday, and 5.30 to 10.30 p.m. on Friday. I gave you the wrong times earlier. I'm sorry about that. But check it out. Support local breweries in Indiana, Michigan, Chicago, any of those places I mentioned. On to a beer review. So, I've already mentioned I'm not really a pale ale guy or um, really an IPA guy at all. I try them because there are ones I do like, and I think you should always be open to trying different beers. You know, uh, Zombie Dust by Three Floyds is really good. Uh, Alpha King by Three Floyds is good. 
Um, Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale is very good. Uh, Founders has a Pale Ale. I think it's just called Pale Ale. I don't remember the name of it. But there's the one I'm doing today. Now, you would think I'd be doing Sierra Nevada's, because that's who I talked about earlier as the revolutionary ones here. I'm actually going to go with the Half Acre Beer Company's Daisy Cutter Pale Ale. Daisy Cutter Pale Ale is a very good beer. Let's start there. Uh, when you pour the beer, it has a beautiful, beautiful golden body to it, with a hint of amber. A little bit, it's a little cloudy. Uh, nice white, um, nice white head on it. And as you're pouring it, you immediately get the nice pale ale smell. You get a little bit of the citrusy fruit, a citrus fruit smell to it. Maybe a little grapefruit. Still citrusy, right? So, you know, a little bit of yeasty smell. You do get a little of the pine scent I mentioned when I talked about it. There's something, there's a few other scents in there that I just can't identify. I don't have the nose for it. Uh, the smell is fantastic. It's, it's very fresh and crisp smelling. It's great. The, the taste is very balanced. It's a very balanced it's got a little bit of sweet, it's got a hint of, it's got a bit of sweet, it's get, it's got a bit of bitter, it's very balanced out. You do taste a, a little bit of citrus in it. Um, there's a toast, there's some sort of toasted taste to it too, I can't identify myself. And you do get, not just citrus, but it seems like multiple layers of citrus and uh, a bit of pepper to, to, that sticks with you, like a little bit of a peppery flavor sticks with you on your tongue after you're done. Uh, it's smooth. It's smooth enough that you don't have to sip it. You could really give it a good drink, and it's not bad at all. Uh, sorry, the review's not real long. There's not much to say except that it's a really damn good pale ale. And I, for me to say that, it's pretty impressive because, like I said, I don't, I don't drink pale ale, but this one, I really enjoy. So, uh, if you're out somewhere and you see a six pack or a four pack or more pack of Daisy Cutter by Half Acre Brewing Company, or Half Acre Beer Company, sorry, I always get that wrong. Give it a shot. It, it, it's excellent. If you like pale ales, it, you shouldn't be, I don't think you'd be disappointed. If you don't like pale ales, give it a try anyway, because you never know. So, anyways, that's all I got for you this week. Uh, this episode was a little longer. Hopefully it comes out sounding a little better as well. Next week, as we get closer to Oktoberfest, I'll tell. I'll probably do, um, talk about Oktoberfest, what it is, how it started. And probably give a few more, and probably give out some more events. I should be able to dig up a few more by then. And because uh, I mean, every German restaurant, like Hofbrauhaus here in Rosemont, they always have an Oktoberfest thing. There's um, another place called Schnitzelplatz down on North Avenue in uh, can't get town. Fantastic food, nice mom and pop place. You can tell it's family owned. They have a great Oktoberfest also. Um, most of them do use the. Uh, the Hofbrauhaus beer. Uh, Hofbrauhaus does for sure because they brew it there. Uh, Schnitzelplatz has a variety, not just not just uh, Hofbrauhaus, but they do carry it. Uh, most places have some sort of celebration going on coming up. A lot of towns and cities also. So you should really look, you know, check Facebook, check events near you. It's a good. Any Oktoberfest celebration is a good place to go to have fun, get some good food, and sample a lot of different beers because. Germany, even though I did make the crack earlier about them having four ingredients, that is true. They used to have, pure, I don't know if they still follow them, but there are German purity laws for beer. But there are different styles of beer from Germany also. So, um, 
if I, you know, when I, when I talk to you next week, I'll have more for you. And uh, be safe out there. Don't drink and drive. And, hey, enjoy your beer. Talk to you later. Bye.